Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Let's continue to spread God's word and we're expecting God to do incredible things in 2021. Stand up on your feet. I want to get you standing for the reading of the word of God. Go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 47 and I'm continuing on this series. We started a brand new series two weeks ago and the name of this series is, oh, you did it so much better last week. The name of this series is? increase. It's the word that God gave me for 2021, and we have been unpacking this word together. We're going to continue on today in Genesis chapter 47, and we're going to begin our reading in verse 23. Y'all ready? Shout back to me, amen, if you're ready to go. All right, let's go. Then Joseph said unto the people, behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that you shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh and four parts shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for them that are of your households and for food for your little ones. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought in the increase, in the increase, not in the shallows, okay? Some of y'all got it. Some of y'all got it. Thank you, Seisha. You are with me, brother. Seisha started singing the song. Come on, bro. A star is born. If you're wondering, what is he talking about? In the increase. In the increase. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for all the incredible things that have happened here in this place. We're thankful, God, because we believe you are going to speak now. God, we block off every distraction. All the pressing issues in life, God, we just push them to the side because in this moment, the most important thing for us is to hear your voice, to get that into our spirit, Father, and then to be obedient with the next thing you are calling us to do with that word. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands one last time, and you may be seated in the increase. How many of you remember the first car that you bought? The first car that you bought. I'm not talking about the car that your dad bought for you or the car that your mom bought for you or your grandfather. You, got a, you had a rich uncle or a generous uncle. Not, not that car. I'm talking about the car that you had to buy with your own money. It hits a little different when it's your money, right? I mean, it was one. My dad, generous father, he, he got me a car. As a matter of fact, the reason he got me a car is I was super involved in high school. I was busy with music. I was busy with sports. I was busy with academics. And my dad got so sick of driving me everywhere that he got the car. And on my 16th birthday, my dad took the day off of work. He took me to the DMV and he said, you need to pass this test because I'm tired of driving you everywhere. I got you a car. You need your license because I'm done. It's time for you to take yourself to and from practice and all of that stuff. And so my dad got me my first car, but it hits a little different when you buy your first car, right? Because there's so much more to buying a car than just the sticker price, right? I mean, you've got to worry about license. You've got to worry about registration. You've got to make sure that you get the maintenance done. You got to make sure that you are getting your insurance paid and all of those things you don't think about when you're getting ready to buy a car, right? Oftentimes it was like, I saw this car, it was $5,000. It's a steal, it's a great deal. Well, 
That might be the price of the car, but that's not the total cost of ownership. How many y'all know what the total cost of ownership is? You're adulting when you start calculating the total cost of ownership. Like, if you want to know when do you start adulting, it's, it's, it's there, all right? It, it, it's there when you're thinking about everything. Well, if I buy this car, it gets so many miles per gallon. And, and if, if I'm driving this many miles a week, I could expect this much in gas. Teenagers don't think about that, do they? No, no, they don't think about none of that stuff. It, it takes an adult to think about stuff like that. Um, the total cost of ownership is important because there's what you want to do with your car after that that you've got to factor in. You see, I grew up. See, I got, I got my license in 96. So I grew up in the tail end of the 90s. How many remember what kids were doing with their cars in the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. We're Fast and the Furious? That came out of my generation. <laughs> We, 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 were, we were doing things with our cars. We weren't fixing up our cars. No, 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 that's not the language. We were souping up our cars. Come on, you know what I'm talking about when I say we souped up our cars. No, we didn't fix it up. We souped it up. And there was no one better than Ruben Angeles. Where are you at, Ruben? Ruben, I mean, he did some stuff to his vehicles, him and his brother Dan. I mean, they'd be like swapping out engines. Like for them, it was like putting on a different pair of pants. Like they'd be like, oh, no, we're going to put a new engine in it. And so there was all these things that we did and, and we souped up our cars. And, and that's really where you get this concept of the total cost of ownership. I want to park that there for a second. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute because there's some of that in this story of Joseph and how he purchased his people and how he purchased his land. How many of you know who Joseph is in the Bible? We find him in the book of Genesis. I'm going to give you a two-minute version of his life because I want to make sure you know his story, but it's long and I could do like multiple sermons just on him and I won't do that to you. So here's the two-minute version of Joseph. Joseph's got 11 other brothers. Dad didn't have television apparently. So he had 11 other brothers. Some of y'all got it. And um, his brothers hated him because he was the favorite son of his dad. So his brothers hated him so much they thought, let's kill him because that's what you do with your the favorite kid, apparently, in biblical times. But then one brother said, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Okay, that sounds better. Let's sell him into, the, let's sell him into slavery. Very loving family. So they sold Joseph into slavery, and he becomes the slave of this high-ranking official named Potiphar, who was Egyptian. So Joseph leaves the land of Canaan. He's, he's now in Egypt, and he's a slave. But Joseph is a person of high character. And because he was a person of high character, he became like the head slave over all the slaves that were owned by Potiphar. But the Bible also says that Joseph was good looking, so good looking that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, wanted to sleep with him. She tried to seduce him multiple times. And Joseph, every time he would like Heisman, you know, it's like, ain't gonna happen. And one day when she thought I'm gonna trap him, he ran out the room and like she was super aggressive. It was like cougar on the prowl, you know what I mean? Like she like grabbed him, the Bible says, by, by his 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 cape, his overcoat, and it just ripped him off and he ran out the house naked, but he was not going to sleep with her. And she made up this big story and she tells her husband, Potiphar, he tried to rape me. She was so, she was, she, I mean, she was all up in her feelings, feeling a certain kind of way because Joseph was like, nah, I ain't going to do this. And so um, obviously Potiphar believed her word over his word because he was still just a slave and off to prison he goes. While in prison, because he's a person of high character, he becomes like the favorite prisoner. He's always just doing a good job wherever he goes. A lot of lessons in there. And while he's in prison, he's also interpreting dreams because that's one of the ways that God used Joseph. One day when Pharaoh over all of Egypt had a dream that nobody could interpret, they said, you know, there's this kid 
He's in prison, but he's great at interpreting dreams. Pharaoh said, bring out that boy. So they cleaned him up, dabbed him up, make them look good, put a clean part in his hair, said, okay, go stand in front of Pharaoh. He goes in front of Pharaoh, correctly interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He says, look, this is the meaning of your dreams. There's seven years of plenty coming and then seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh said, you know what? You don't belong in the prison. You belong here with me. Eventually, Pharaoh promoted Joseph to the head of commerce over all of Egypt, which was a major world power at the time. I just gave you the story of Joseph in just a couple of minutes. Now you know who Joseph is? I want you to get who Joseph is. And um, in many ways, when you read the story of Joseph, Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is a type of Christ. If you don't know what a type is, that is a biblical theological term that means that there are people or events in the Old Testament that began to reflect the nature and the person of Christ. And so Joseph in, in his story, which I just gave you the quick version of, there were 60, six zero, six, 60 different events or, or, or there was 60 different things that happened to him that lets you know that he's a type of Christ. 60. You guys ready? I'm going to give them all to you right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm just going to give you a few because I can't give you all 60 for the sake of time. But let me, let me try to explain to you why Joseph is an Old Testament type of Christ. Well, number one, he was a shepherd. And Jesus was a shepherd too. He was a different type of shepherd, not over sheep, but over people. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they come. Jesus was a shepherd just like Joseph was a shepherd. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Jesus too was hated by his brethren. The, the, the religious people of this time, they rejected him just like Joseph's brothers rejected him. Joseph was the favorite of his father. Jesus was also the favorite of his father. That's why his father, when Jesus was baptized, he comes out and says, this is my son. I need you all to do what he tells you to do. So Jesus was, so just like Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jesus was the, fa the favorite of his father. And those are all different ways that the Bible records that he was a type of Christ. Last one, in everything that Joseph went through, I mean, he was like almost killed, sold into slavery, lied, put in prison, like all the ups and downs of his lives. The Bible never records Joseph sinning, just like Jesus lived without sin. Okay, like I can keep going because there are 60, but y'all get the point now? Joseph is a type of Christ. And what he does here in this passage of scripture is he buys his family and he buys the land. What happened was eventually Joseph, who's now the head of commerce, famine hits. And when famine hit throughout the land, Egypt was ready. So everybody left their lands to come to Egypt to buy food. So Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to buy food. And when they came to Egypt, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. God had so given Joseph so much favor that everyone from his past couldn't even recognize the person who had the major plus up in their life. That's a whole other sermon right there about how sometimes God will do things in you and through you that people who used to be like you, when they see you, they're not going to recognize you. And that's what was going on with Joseph. Joseph thought, well, I'm going to get my brothers back. That's what he wanted to do. But then Holy Spirit arrests him. He's like, oh, no, you're not. You're a person of character. You're not going to get your brothers back. So instead, he reveals his identity to his family. And there's this big old family reunion. It's all mushy. But what happens is as the plague continued to go on, um, his family, it, it, they were at this point in the famine, much like a lot of other families at that point in time, when they were out of resources, when they were out of food, they sold themselves into slavery 
to be owned by other people, richer people that had means. It was better to be a slave and fed than to be free and starved to death. That was just the economics of the time. And so Joseph's family got to that point. And they were at that point where they were without any resources. And Joseph, knowing what's going on, he goes to Pharaoh and says, I would like to buy my family and I'd like to buy the land. And Pharaoh already, he loved Joseph. Joseph had all kinds of favor. So he says, go ahead, bring him in. So he brings in his family out of Canaan into Egypt, the land of Goshen. And Joseph buys the land and Joseph buys his brothers and his, and all of their family. Now, when I say all of their family, you got to know that it wasn't just his 11 brothers. It was his 11 brothers and like their wives, like, like plural wives, because back then they had more than one, all of their kids. And like Jake, like his father, they were having all kinds of kids. I mean, cattle, um, um, if they had their own slaves, it was, when you talk about buying households, you're talking about lots and lots of people. And Joseph said, I'm going to buy all of them. And I'm going to bring them into the land. And this is how this passage of scripture opens where Joseph says to them, I've bought you and I've bought your land. And this is the type of, this is a type of Christ. And in this moment, we see the gospel because the gospel tells us that we were, we were slaves to sin. The gospel tells us that because of our sin nature and our proclivity to do what our flesh wants to do, we then begin to owe a debt to sin. And the payment for sin is death. And what Jesus did is he came and he bought us when we were slaves to sin. Jesus comes and he cancels the debt of our sin by taking the penalty of sin and he takes it to a cross. So if you're writing this down right, just as Joseph paid the debt for his family, Jesus paid the debt of sin and he paid the the debt of death for us. And aren't you glad that he's canceled your sin, Lighthouse? Come on, is anybody glad that our, our, our sin has been paid for already? You, you, you got to know that because he canceled the penalty of sin, we now experience freedom, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. That's the gospel message. And get this, Jesus did not die for us when we were at our best. Come on now. You look good today because it's Sunday morning, but I know how some of y'all look come Monday morning. And I know how some of y'all look come Friday when your boss has been getting on your last Christian nerve. Come on, I know how you are when someone cuts you off on the freeway. I know how it is when your kids are acting up. I know how it's like when there's disagreements in the family. I know what I'm talking about when I say maybe you've gone through a divorce or two or three or however many it's been. And you just need to know this. When Jesus died for you, he took on the total cost of ownership. He didn't just die for the best of you. He died for the worst of you. When Jesus went to the cross and he canceled our debt, he canceled the debt for the worst of us. When Jesus went to the cross and he took on our debt, he paid the price for the worst mistake you could ever make. The problem is as Christians, like sometimes we get to this place where we act like I was worth it. (laughs) I I was worth Jesus dying for my sins. Yeah, have you seen all these things I do for the kingdom of God? Have you seen how talented I am? I mean, I'd die for myself too. When we're on our best day, we can get real fleshy. <laughs> when we're on our best days, we can act like, you know, we walk around thinking we're Jesus' first cousin. But the truth is, when no one's around and you're left alone to just your own thoughts and you know the darkest corners of your hearts, just know that he saw that and he said, I'm paying that debt. 
Just know that he saw that and he said, I'm paying for that too. He took on the total. Everybody say total. The total cost of ownership for us. For us. And anything you do in the weeks, months, years to come, he saw it. He saw it. And, and, and what did he ask you to do in order to have this freedom? Just receive it. That's the crazy good news of the gospel is that there's nothing you can do to earn the fact that he canceled your debt. All you can do is receive it. All you can do is receive it. It's like what my wife was talking about just a minute ago when we started singing about the cross. If, if you start thinking about the cross on your best day, it may not have that much power. But when you start singing about the cross and you start thinking about your worst day, you realize, man, that cross is powerful. Man, that blood is powerful. The love of God is powerful. That it would love me even when I don't love him back. That he would love me even when I don't demonstrate that I'm worth loving. He would still love me. And, and the problem is too many times you think that God sees you the way other people see you. And when other people have said, I don't love you, you think you are unlovable. But that's not the way God sees you. Too many of you think your worth is what other people say about you, but your worth is what God has already said about you. And the worth that he spoke over you was, I'll die for you. That's how much I love you. The depths of his love, I think oftentimes we miss. The depths of his love, I think we don't totally comprehend. And, and, and that's why to me, I start thinking about a total cost of ownership because it's only then when I think about the worst of me that I begin to understand, oh my, he loves us. It's like that beautiful song that we sing in worship. He loves us, oh how he loves us. I, I can't say that if I don't think about the worst of me. I, I can't say that if I don't go back to that place and remember what he's done for me, what he's done through me. This is what made that moment of worship. Do you guys remember the passage of scripture where Jesus was inside having dinner at one of the Pharisees' house and, and Mary comes to his feet. This is the same Mary they had forgiven of her sins and she had this very costly oil, this alabaster jar, alabaster box and uh, this alabaster jar. She, she breaks it and with all the contents within it, she starts to wipe Jesus' um, feet with this oil and her tears and her hair. And you might think, man, that's an extravagant form of worship, but God delivered her from extravagant sin. And, and, and so the praise had to match the redemption. And so the worship had to match the forgiveness. This is what I love. This is why I love new convert Christians. You ever seen those baby Christians that just have so much joy? I'm talking about like they know what they've been forgiven of. The problem is sometimes some of you have been in church for so long, you forgot what you used to be like. You forgot what God delivered you from. And now you've gotten sophisticated with your praise. And if Jimmy don't sing the right song, you ain't worshiping. And if the track's not working, you're not giving God your praise. And you walk around acting like you got a mature faith. It's not an immature faith. It's a cold faith. It's lukewarm. And I read in Revelation what God does with those who are lukewarm. I'm sorry. It's Sunday morning. I but I think oftentimes we forget about the depths of God's love towards us. And you need to be reminded how much he loves you. And you need to be reminded that when he saw you on that cross, it wasn't your best version that he saw. He saw your potential. He saw what you would become, but not until he first saw what he had to bring you out of. He, he, he saw, what, what, am I, what am I paying for? Yeah, 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 I'm, I'll pay that bill. 
I'll pay that bill. It's like some of you when you see those new cars. How many ever saw a car that you wanted to buy until you saw what the monthly payment was going to be? <laughs> I'm going to CarMax. Forget this mess. <laughs> I ain't buying a car here. No, sir. Jesus looked at you, saw the bill, saw the total cost, and he said, I'll pay that because you are worth dying for. So come on, someone give God praise for that. Joseph looks, he gets all his family together. It might be a gathering like this. And he says to them, listen, everybody, cousins, aunties, uncles, kids that I don't know your names. I've paid for you and I've paid for this land. And they're thinking, yeah, Uncle Joseph's the man. You know what I'm saying? Uncle Joseph, we're, we're out of Canaan. We're out of famine. We're going to Egypt where there's food. And it's like you're flexing because of who your uncle is. Anybody have a, a family member that you flex on? You're just like, that's my uncle. Yeah, that's him. That's how his family was when Joseph said, I've paid for all of you and I paid for your land. But it's what he does next that I want you to get because it's the gospel. He says, after that, after he says, I've paid for you and I've paid for your land, he then gives them seeds. I, I have in this jar a bunch of little seeds. They grow wildflowers. And he does this next. He says, I, I've, I've saved you. I've purchased you. And, and I've purchased the land. And now what I'm giving you is seed. I'm, I'm going to give you seed. And, and seed, you might look at this and say, well, it's cool. But like some of you would love to have seed. I'm more like, give me the fruit. I'm like, Joseph, you're rich. You're like, rich, rich. You couldn't have rolled up with like a cart full of groceries, some Trader Joe's, sprouts. Instead, you show up with seed. Think about that for a second. Seed. Listen, y'all, I don't know what to do with seeds. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, some of you guys are great. So how, many, how many DIY people are in the room? It's just like something breaks in the house and you're like, I can fix it. I'm great at calling people. That's what I'm good at. I'm, I got the home warranty. My wife's like, you need to fix the dishwasher. <laughs> the devil is a lie. I got someone that can do that for me. <laughs> I just pay my deductible and they fix it for me. I'm one of those guys. Can I be honest with you? That's me. Some of you guys, you, you fix anything. Like I said, Reuben was moving engines, like just swapping engines. I'm like, I ain't doing that. Just give me a car that runs. I'm good. As long as I can put gas, I can do that. Um, but seed. And some of you guys that are great at fixing houses wouldn't know what to do with seeds either. You know what seeds are? They're work. Seeds are work. You ever try planting a garden? It's tough. I mean, I'll tell you how clueless I am. You know, when the, my wife and I, we, we, we bought a house a few years ago, and we didn't even realize till one day I'm out there that in the back, in the back we have this um, retaining wall. It's got embankment up there. We, have, we had mint, and we had rosemary up there. So, like, the lady before us, she planted, and, like, we're just reaping the harvest. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, we got mint back there. And I didn't even know it was back there. One day I asked the, I asked the landscaper. I got the guy. I'm telling you, I don't do anything. I had the guy come cut my grass. I'm like, hey, what is that? He's like, what? I'm like, that, that smells good. Is that mint? He like grabbed it and started chewing on it. I'm like, brother, is a cow. He's just like <laughs> chewing on, he's not chewing it. Yet about winner. I was like, oh, it's mint. I was like, are you serious? All this time I've had mint in my backyard. So you want to know what I did? I made a mint mojito out of coffee. You know what I'm saying? That's, I'm like, now I'm in my lane. Let's do coffee. You know, Pastor Josh, I'll make coffee out of anything. I'm like, oh, I can make a mint latte. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? 
Then I stepped in. But I mean, that's how when it comes to seed and stuff like that, that's how disconnected I am. I had mint and rosemary in my backyard for like three years. I had no idea. Now I'm like cooking steaks with it. I'm acting like I, I knew what it was. But, but listen, listen, get the order. Get the order here. Joseph said, I've paid for you. And he said, here's your seed. This is what Christ does. Christ says, I save you. And now I put seed on the inside of you. But what you got to do with that seed is you got to get to work. Look at your neighbor and tell them work. You see, work's falling on hard times in the church today. We don't, we don't like that word works, right? No, 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 pastor. I am saved by grace through faith. That's it. Don't tell me to work. Here's, here's the deal. So many of us have been traumatized because we grew up in the type of church that said you had to work for your salvation. And we've got like PTSD because we were, we were given all of this heresy and we're told, unless you do this and unless you do that. I mean, we layered stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff to the Bible. And one day I'm reading Romans. And I'm like, yeah, I don't say to do that. But I mean, like we were taught that you had to do all of these works in order to be saved. Now that was wrong because we are saved by grace through faith. You, your works will never save you. Never. But works have fallen on hard times because you know, works aren't bad. They're only bad when you get them in the wrong order. You're saved first. And then God says, here's some seed, get to work. It's wrong when you put works ahead of salvation, but when salvation comes first and you realize that no amount of work will ever save me, but you know, but because I've been saved, there's some work that I've got to do. Because God has delivered me from a life of sin, I can't just sit down and be complacent. I can't just come to church on Sunday and not join the dream team. I can't just come and be a spectator and feed me pastor, feed me dream team, feed me cafe team, and never do anything with what I've been given. No, no, no. The same way Joseph said, I bought you and here's some seed. God says, I have saved you. Now it's time for you to get to work. He, he, he gives us seed. What do we do with seed? Well, again, I'm going to act like I know what I'm talking about. Come on over here. But when someone gives you seed and if you're going to plant seed, you have to get the ground ready, right? And so you've got to get some tools and, and start breaking up that ground. That embankment over there to your left, Let's give it up to Madai and her team. That embankment did not look like that a few weeks ago, but her and her team came in here, and they were getting all the weeds out of there, and there they were on hands and knees digging up the ground, digging up the ground, digging up, getting the ground ready because when you have a seed, the first thing you got to do is get the ground right. You, you can't just throw seed on hard ground. You can't just throw seed on top of dirt that hasn't been turned. You've got to get the ground right. So then after you get the ground right, then you get your seeds and you plant your seeds. It takes a little bit of work. Back's going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to take some work to get it done. After you've planted the seed, then comes the water. And you've got to now making, you've got to make sure you've got water on those seeds. When we first got all of that fixed over there, our biggest concern was, do we got water? Right? I remember Pastor Joe's like, we need to get these water lines fixed. They're broken. There's an absolute mess. We got to get these things fixed. And so we're fixing the water lines over there. We're fixing the water over here under this patch of grass. We put new grass there. And what was the priority? Water it. And after that, now it's just the environment, right? You, whatever, needs, whatever is going to grow needs to have the right exposure to the sun. So the environment has got to be right. That's why when, when Joseph says to them, now that I bought you, here's some seed, they knew, oh, this is going to be some work. This is going to take some work. Can I tell you that this is a perfect analogy to what you've got to do in your life as well? 
When, now that God has saved you, look at your neighbor and tell him you've been saved. You have got to break up the ground, which is your heart in your life. Because many of you, you've gotten hard hearted. Your, your heart is, is, is hard because of trauma in your past. There's, there's things that other people have done to you and seed is coming forward, but your heart's not ready. So you've got to do the hard work of getting your heart right. This is why we want to get you around a connect group and other people that can help you get your heart right because God is about to come and sprinkle seeds into your life. But if the, if the ground is not ready, if your heart is not ready, you'll never receive what God has for you. That, that, that's why those church notes, I, I talk about that and, and come ready because when you're ready, you can receive. But, but if the ground's not ready for the seed, it doesn't matter how good the seed is. It's falling on hard ground. And when you come to church on Sunday or when you turn on a podcast or when you're in your connect group, wherever it is that you're going to receive, make sure your heart is right. Make sure that the heart is ready for the seed. Now, now the seed represents the word of God. This, the, the seed is God's word that goes into your life. But, but how many of you know you don't just like throw the seed in there? No, you got to open up the ground, put the seed on the inside, make sure that you pack it down. And, and that's what I think about the word of God. It's not enough just to hear the word when you're in your quiet time you got to read that verse and read it some more and start to recite it and speak that verse over your life there are so many promises in the bible that god wants you not just to read but to speak over your life you're 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 working to see look at your neighbor and tell him work that seed You've got to work that seed. It, it, it's, it's not just, well, I read my Bible. I heard someone say it this way. You don't stop reading the Bible until the Bible starts to read you. When, when you're reading that word and now the Bible's starting to read you, you, you read something in Psalms and you're like, ah, that hurt a little bit. You read something in Paul and Paul's giving correction to the Ephesians church, but it fits you too. And you're like, ah, that stung a little bit. What is it? It's the seed that's being worked. And then you've got to pour water on top of the seed. The Bible over and over again uses water as an analogy towards the spirit of God. Water represents the spirit of God. This is why you got to get inside of a life-giving church where the spirit of God is not just moving, but it is welcomed. Come on, somebody. Because there's a lot of churches that you can go to where they don't want the spirit of God. But it's another thing when you get into a place like this and you are welcoming the spirit of God into your life because just like you pour water over the word, you have got to allow the spirit of God to come into your life and to water the word that God has deposited inside your heart heart you've got to water that thing part of that is worship look at your neighbor and tell them worship don't ever be afraid to lose yourself in worship some of you are like man they get really weird with the worship at that church i mean like they don't just sing three songs they do like three and a half like sometimes four i think the brother's up there making up songs no no it's <laughs> it's, it's worship we're we're, we're we're, we're not here to sing a set and go about our way, but we want to tap into the presence of God. And together we do that through our corporate worship. And lastly, the sun, you need exposure to the sun. And I'm talking about the S-O-N sun, Jesus. You need more of him in your life. Get you that bumper sticker that says you need Jesus. You know, like, like some of you need him, like you really do need him. And you need more exposure to him. And this is why you got to read your Bible and especially the New Testament. You're not going to become like someone if you don't know anything about them. Some of you are like, I'm trying to become more like Jesus, but you don't know his attributes or his character or the way he loved on other people. And, and so when the word of God comes and, and, and just like Joseph says, I'm giving you seed, 
then you have got to work that seed. Are you getting this Lighthouse Church? My, my, my fear is that too many of us are walking around with our seeds in our cups and we're doing nothing with it. God said all these powerful things about you and to you and through you and what he's going to do in your family and you're walking around with a seed in a cup. And this seed in a cup is just about as effective. You know what I mean? It's like you're not going to do anything with this. Nothing's coming out of this. I have to work this in order for it to accomplish anything. And in the same way, God has given you words. God has spoken to you. There's a seed on the inside of you that unless you do something with it, you're never going to see the harvest that you want to have for your life. Walking around with a seed in a cup, you don't put a seed in a cup, you put it in the ground. Seeds don't get worked unless you first put them in the ground. If you're wondering, well, pastor, like, where where do I start? I, I tell you the best place to start is the best place to start if you were getting the ground ready to prepare the seed, to plant the seed, it's, it's, it's right here. This is the best place to start. It's in prayer. It's in taking everything that God has given you and now take it to him, taking it to him in prayer. And I'm coming to a close now. Your seed needs to be planted, but you'll never experience a harvest if you don't plant it. So this is what Joseph does. He says, I bought you. I bought your land. And here's some seed. And then he says this. And in the increase, look at your neighbor and say, in the increase. And he doesn't say if there's an increase. He says, in the increase. He, he says, it's going to happen. If you take this seed and if you work the seed, then there's an increase coming in the increase. This word increase comes from the Hebrew word tabua, which means to produce product or revenue this is the most common use of the word increase you guys remember that i told you guys in the very first week there are many there are over 60 different um there's over 60 different words in the greek aramaic and hebrew for the one word we call increase so we got to understand when we read increase what, what are we talking about this one's the most common one it just means a harvest it means what you produce and what joseph says to israel he says to them in the increase he goes on to say you're gonna have enough food to number one take care of your payment to pharaoh you're gonna have enough left over for you to replant and make even more seed because your seed is gonna produce more seed and then he goes on to say you're gonna have enough food for you and you're gonna have enough food for your household and he says and you're gonna have enough food for all of your kids my God, write this down. What God gives to you, he intends to multiply in the increase. The, the word that God speaks to you, he intends to multiply in the increase. What does that mean, Pastor Josh? Well, when God brings a word to your life and he's leading you to your next step, if you will take that next step, not only are you going to experience change, but the potential for your entire family to experience the benefits of that change happen when you take your next steps. All of a sudden, maybe your marriage was a wreck, but you took that next steps. And all of a sudden, not only did God get your heart right, but all of a sudden the marriage got right. And when the marriage got right the kids got right and when the kids got right the grandkids got right do you guys see what i'm talking about right now you'll never know what one decision will do if you put it into god's hands when you begin to work the seed and you begin to experience multiplication in the increase in the increase 
So God is leading you to your next step of obedience, but when you take that next step, understand that God doesn't plan to just add to it. He intends to multiply it. Look at your neighbor and say multiply. He intends to multiply. Because here's what happened. Here's what happened. When Israel first arrived in Egypt, it was just Jacob and his household. If you fast forward a few years, Joseph's already passed away. His brothers have already passed away. Read it in your Bible. It says now Israel numbered in the millions in Egypt. Think about that for a second. In one season, they were starving and they were without food. They relocate to Goshen. And he says, if you work the seed, it'll be more than enough for you. And it'll be enough for your household and your family. And then decades later, there are now millions of Hebrews living in Egypt. And that's when the whole exodus story started. They actually outnumbered the Egyptians. Why? Because they worked their seed. They worked their seed. God multiplies when you do your part. Doing your part doesn't give you salvation. It's not what we're talking about. You've already been saved. You've received that salvation. And then you're given seed. You're given seed. Go and work that seed. Plant that seed. What what has God said that he's going to do in your life that's not come to pass yet? Don't give up on it. Don't lose hope. Remember, if he begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it until the day that he comes back again. Whatever God said he's going to do in and through you, his word will not return to him void. He is not a man that he should lie. If he said it, he's going to do it. And I might be preaching to some people in the tent right now that are like, but, but, but I messed up, Pastor. I mean, there was a time in my life when I thought God was going to do it, but since then I had this mistake and this mistake. Listen, I'm going to make it as plain as I can. If you're still breathing, <laughs> if you're not dead, God is not done. If you're not dead, God is not done. But you got to work your seed. It ain't going to happen if you're just... Just sitting back, just waiting on God, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. This is how some of you are. Come to church on Sunday, just waiting on the Lord. God's calling you to join the dream team. Nope, ain't going to do it. God's calling you to love your neighbor. Nope, not going to do it. God's calling you to love on people that are unlovable by culture. Nope, God's not going to do it. But God in the increase, and God's like, I can't multiply anything because you haven't planted anything. God can't multiply what you've not planted. He wants to multiply it, but you're walking around with a cup of seed. Can I give you the last part here? I'm, I'm, and I'm done. Matter of fact, stand up on your feet. That way I know to shut up. You know, you, know what I, you know what I love about this part? You know what I love about this part of Scripture? And it hit me later when my notes were all done. And Get the worship team up here. Come on up here. Come on, guys. What I love is, when did Joseph speak this word about planting the seed? You want to know when he spoke this word? Get your neighbor and tell him in a famine. He spoke to them during a famine about an increase. I love this. The earth was broken. The earth was in a seven, they were living through a seven year global famine. And that's when Joseph said, plant the seed. And it's, it, 
the rest of the world, listen, Egypt didn't grow as fast as Israel. Why? Because they didn't have the word. <laughs> because there's something different when God's people begin to do the things of God that even though the world may be broken, even though culture may be broken, even though it feels like there's a famine in the land, it doesn't apply to God's people because they've got a word from God. They've got seeds in their hand and they're beginning to operate not according to the economy of earth, but according to God's economy, the economy of heaven. And that is the economy of sowing and reaping. And let me tell some of you right now, some of you feel like your marriage is in a famine, sow a seed. Some of you feel like your kids are a famine, sow a seed. Some of you feel like your career is in a famine, sow a seed. Sow a seed. And watch what God will do in and through you. Don't wait for everything to be right. Joseph was speaking prophetically in the middle of a famine. That's when Joseph said, plant your seed, work your ground. The earth was broken. It was a global famine and it wasn't producing enough crops. But for God's people, <laughs> but for God's people, the earth worked. But for God's people who were obedient to the voice of God, it worked. This is why if you do the things that God is calling you to do, if you are obedient to God's voice, you will not be subject to the rules of everyone else. You'll do exactly what God wants you to do. He'll do things from you that don't make sense. It doesn't make sense for a church to buy a building that's only two years old. But we sowed in 2020. When a lot of churches were packing it up, Lighthouse Church, we kept on going. How many remember? We would record in a warehouse. We'd record in borrowed church. Churches. We would record in co-works. We'd record anywhere we could plug in a camera and a piano. I mean, what were we doing? Sowing, working the seed. We never shut down. When a lot of people said, I just, you know, shut it all down. We did whatever we could. Why? Because we believed that if we sowed the seed, God would give an increase. We were just crazy enough to believe that if we sowed the seed, God would do it. Now, I think God's got so much more to do in and through Lighthouse Church. I'm believing that God has more to do through this church. We've said it and we believe it, that, that this property and what God is doing in and through, it's insane. It's crazy. I was sitting with, I was sitting with um, one of the designers. We're interviewing designers for the remodel. Eventually when we close escrow and we remodel the church, I told him we had four people come, 400 people show up for Easter. The guy looked at me, he's like, you don't fit. Said, I know that. I know we don't fit, but there's a seed. And I've got to take care of the seed. So we fix the grass. Why? Take care of the seed. We fix the embankment. Why? Take care of the seed. I don't know why God gave us this building. It wasn't even in our city, but take care of the seed. Work the seed. I don't know why Joseph said plant when the earth is broken, but what'd they do? Planted the seed. It didn't make sense. I bet you everyone else in Egypt was like, those people are crazy. This earth doesn't work anymore. It doesn't produce any more plants. But they didn't care. Just kept sowing. Just kept sowing. Just kept sowing. They had so much food that just multiplied into the millions and the millions and the millions of people. Because they worked the seed. I want to pray over you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for everything that you are doing, what you've done, what you're getting ready to do. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.